You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Ladies and gentlemen, dear friend, Governor Greg Abbott. Happy New Year, my friend. Thanks for calling in. So the news of the day is New York is suing. Since they can't get Washington, they can't get Joe Biden's, they can't get Mallorca's, they can't get anybody to listen to the, to cut them a check for all the illegal immigrants that are now up in New York. And thank you, by the way, for busting all these people up to New York, as many as possible. So now they're suing the bus companies, the charter bus companies. Has this lawsuit, the which is barely in the news the past, you know, not even 24 hours, have you heard anything from the bus, the charter bus companies? Is it scaring away any of the charter bus providers? What do you know, Governor? Oh, it shouldn't do that. I don't know if you saw the statement that I put out, but uh, I made clear uh, that this is uh, an absurd uh, and meritless lawsuit uh, by the New York mayor. Uh, and the reason is very simple, uh, and that is that everyone that's being bused or flown to New York or Chicago or these other places, they have already been, been given uh, authority by President Biden and his administration to be in the United States of America. Because of that, they have a constitutional right to travel to wherever they want to in the United States. In the Constitution, uh, there's the Commerce Clause. The United States Supreme Court has uh, identified a constitutional right to travel that applies to these people because Biden has given them the authority to be in the United States. My point is this. Uh, What Mayor Adams has done by taking this legal action Uh, He has violated the legal rights uh, of these bus companies to be able to transport uh, these uh, migrants to New York. And and, uh, I think that Mayor Adams will have his head handed to him uh, in this litigation. He deserves not only to lose the lawsuit, uh, but there should be uh, sanctions and penalties imposed on the mayor on New York. Uh, They should have to pay uh, the litigation fees and, and sanctions on top of that. Uh, for bringing such a frivolous lawsuit. Governor Greg Abbott joining us on the Sergio Show. And the reason I ask you, Governor, is usually threats of lawsuits and litigation. is like some of these people say, I don't want any of that. I don't want to have to lawyer up. I don't want to spend any money on defending myself. So is the state of Texas your office in any way? Can you take some of the charter bus money I don't know, and call some lawyers to defend any of these charter bus companies forced to go to court by Mayor Eric Adams? Well, you're asking away a technical question. I'm going to give you a technical answer, then give you the more broader answer. And, and that is uh, the, the state of Texas, uh, we, we use our money uh, to represent the state of Texas, uh, not third parties such as uh, these third-party bus companies that are providing the transportation. That said, uh, as you know, uh, we are happy warriors uh, going into the legal battlefield and, and uh, uh uh, taking litigation action, things like that. Uh, and so what you can expect uh, is that Texas will be involved uh, in one way or the other uh, in this whole process. But, let, hey, let, let's take a step back and, and look at the bigger picture for just one second. And that is that, if, as you know and your, and your audience knows, uh, New York has, is a self-proclaimed sanctuary city. Uh, The Democrats, historically and currently, whether they're in New York or Chicago or Denver or wherever, uh, they they say, listen, we are the party uh, of immigrants until they are forced to actually have to deal with those immigrants. Uh, And now that they have to deal with those immigrants that were sent from Texas, they say, no, 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 we don't want to have anything to do with them. We want to deny them entry into New York. Make Texas deal with that. And so uh, the, the Democrats have been unmasked uh, as being 
a, a party uh, and individuals who are hostile uh, to immigrants in the United States of America. Governor Greg Abbott joining us this Friday on the Sergio Show. We're talking about New York Mayor Eric Adams, and he's now suing the charter bus companies that are sending thousands and thousands of illegal immigrants up to New York City. Leftists can court shop as much as they want, and after all, you know, they're up in New York, Governor. I'm sure they can find some judge, some court that would agree. So in a hypothetical, let's say somebody agrees with, you know, they're going to take the case and, and force these charter bus companies to lawyer up. I, I'm thinking maybe a good plan B, Governor, you know, just like the NGOs that give vouchers or tickets to some of these illegals to, on their own, they, they're filling up buses here in McAllen, filling up planes, or half of the passengers sometimes any given day are these migrants. You can tell because they've got new checklists, flip-flops, and they got those little folders given to them, and the NGO helped them get that plane ticket or bus ticket to get out of here. Maybe, I don't know, maybe just go Greyhound if Greyhound is still in business, right? I don't know who's busing these days. But maybe taking that charter bus budget and just put them on regular Greyhound buses. And, and that would really complicate things for New York. They're showing up all over the place, not at just one central location. Anyway, just... My opinion. Want to get your thoughts on that plan B? Well, well, yeah. So let, let, let me ask that uh, in several ways. One is uh, one thing that we have started doing uh, is uh, we're we're not taking the the buses uh, into New York. Uh, we're taking them close to New York uh, and and put uh, the the migrants on an Amtrak to go into New York. And so they may have to start suing Amtrak. <laughs> uh, and that, that complicates it. But 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 th- listen, there's another issue that you identified that you didn't know about. But let me uh, explain this to you. Uh, you talked about these NGOs, uh, non-governmental organizations. Catholic Charities is one example. NGOs are involved in this process of uh, facilitating uh, the movement of these migrants, uh, whether it be through Texas or whether it be through the United States of America or in other ways. So uh, I know for a fact that NGOs have been involved in the relocation of migrants uh, from Texas uh, to New York City. I also know for a fact uh, that President Biden and the federal government have at the very same time been moving migrants from Texas and other states to New York City. Here's my point. Mayor Adams cannot sue the state of Texas for migrants coming in while at the very same time ignoring the fact that the United States and these NGOs are facilitating this illegal, uh, or let's say the movement of illegal immigrants uh, to New York City. And so uh, he's being hypocritical in his own lawsuit uh, in picking and choosing uh, the the people he wants to sue. If if these bus companies are liable for the movement of migrants into New York, then the Biden administration is equally liable for moving migrants into New York. Come March, well, we're supposed to, you know, a new law is supposed to kick in, allowing taxes authorities, local authorities to arrest, prosecute, deport illegal immigrants. I know that's going to be a nasty court fight. And I appreciate the court fight. We need to put this in front of the American people in the courts, in the news, for them to, to see this on a regular basis. Just want to get your thoughts on that new law and the expected court fight related to the new Texas law in catching, prosecuting, deporting illegal immigrants. Sure. And, and so what, what I did, and you kind of characterized it there, I signed a law uh, passed during one of our last special sessions uh, that makes it illegal for somebody uh, to cross the border 
from Mexico into the state of Texas uh, between a port of entry. Uh, and, uh, and and it allows for the arrest of these people, the potential deportation uh, of these people. There's all different kinds of aspects to it. But here, here's the point. The federal government has already filed a lawsuit challenging this. Uh, it's one of uh, at least three pieces of litigation the Biden administration has against the state of Texas right now for the state of Texas trying to secure the border. Uh, you remember those buoys that we put in the water that yes, are actually still in the water right <laughs> now? Uh, that case is in the Fifth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals. Uh, right now in the United States Supreme Court uh, is a lawsuit uh, by the Biden administration against Texas uh, for Texas uh, erecting more than 100 miles of razor wire to deny illegal entry into uh, the state of Texas. And the Biden administration is begging the United States Supreme Court uh, to allow them to tear down that razor wire. Uh, and now the Biden administration has filed a lawsuit against this law uh, that I signed uh, to deny illegal entry into the state of Texas. Here's my point. Uh, the, the, the Biden administration is spending more time fighting Texas trying to protect our border than the Biden administration is spending time yeah. and effort to actually secure yeah, the border and enforce the laws passed by Congress. That's shameful. And it, the Biden administration needs to start focusing on the laws and executing the laws passed by Congress that deny illegal entry into the United States. I'm going to throw you a curve real quick. If you see if you can give me a one-word answer. Texas is the number one economy in the nation. U-Haul says more trucks coming to Texas than any other state. And, of course, the number one issue is the lack of border security, thanks to Biden, the border mess that he's created. So if Donald Trump calls you up, yo, Greg, Abbott, you want to be my Veep running mate? Would you take it? And now you know I'm not, now I'm not going down that pathway. I'm focused on being governor. As you point out, uh, we, we have the eighth, soon to be the seventh largest economy in the world. Uh, and we are the most important state in the United States. And I am proud and thankful uh, to have been chosen and elected to be the leader of this state. Uh, and my job and focus is on being uh, the best governor that I can for the yeah. great state. I was hoping you'd say no. I don't want you to leave. Uh, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want okay. a nasty fight for governor here in Texas. I was hoping you'd say no on that one. Hey, just I want to put a bug in your. I, I know I'm running late with you, but uh, had a chance to speak with the city manager in McAllen this morning, and I know we're anxiously waiting, chopping at the bit to be chosen by a major manufacturer down here. And uh, I think the, the final comments around here is that we're waiting on the state of Texas, your office specifically. See if you can just stay in the fight for us and make sure that we land that major transformative manufacturer here in the McAllen area in the near future. We'll see whatever you can do to help us over the, over the hill on that one. All right? Yeah, so we, we have the, the number one economic development team in the United States, and we are constantly working on projects, including uh, in the RGV, ranging from Hidalgo County or Cameron County, uh, even over in Starr County, all the way over to Laredo. Uh, and uh, the uh, you all see firsthand uh, how fast the economy is growing down there, all the population growth, the job growth, the business growth, et, et cetera. Uh, and so we work literally uh, every single week uh, on trying to uh, expand business and economic opportunity in the RGV. A big hug to you and Miss Sessie. Thank you, Governor. Of course. Thank you. Always great to visit with you. Happy New Year. Happy we'll New Year. You, you and the crew. Governor Greg Abbott, the governor of the mighty great state of Texas. This is the Sergio Show.
You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. I was looking at Samuel Ronan's bio, and there's three words that I gravitated to. Millennial, veteran, immigrant. The next words were nominee, or seeking nomination, running for president. Veteran is another word that I saw. So Samuel Ronan, my guest right now, and we're going to talk about military readiness, recruitment, and, oh, God forbid, a draft, a national draft, in the event something bad happens in our country. Samuel Ronan, Happy New Year. Thank you for joining us, amigo. First up, how do folks find you online, Sam? Uh, SamRonan.com, pretty quick and easy. Or if you want to go into social media, Sam, the number four president. Okay, let's start with your service. You're a veteran. Tell me about that real quick. So active duty for six years, reserves for six years, and stationed everywhere from Japan to uh, Arkansas. <laughs> seeking nomination for GOP, running for president, right? You're among the many names that will be there seeking nomination. Why? Yes, sir. Uh, is, this, is this your first foray into politics, or have you done something local before? What? Why are you running? So I have done more localized politics, of course, um, and it's funny because I wasn't always a Republican. Um, I ran for uh, the state representative as a Democrat before, found out that the Democratic Party doesn't you know, help its people in any way, form, or fashion, and then made it onto the national stage by running for DNC chair and completely changing the dynamic of that election race. And since then, I've been more involved at the national and federal level of politics. I'm running for president because what I see in our country, the people who are running, the people who are in office, and the people who are most likely to get into office are not good for the regular American people. And that's why I'm as a citizen and to prove that as a regular person, you can, in fact, make a difference. A veteran, a Republican, Samuel Ronan, my guest. What is Average Joe's initiative, Sam? That's me putting my money where my mouth is. I started a business. Uh, 3D printing business, and I've been kind of using the LFC to just do other things, a little contract work here, a little something else to get people out there to understand that small businesses are accessible. Small businesses are things that people can participate in, grow, and have as alternatives to these mega corporations. And with the AJI, I am turning it into a brand to help facilitate other small businesses to move forward because, again, it's about people. People power is the true power of this nation. We just need to remind them of that. So AJI is the, uh, shall we say, the business version of my politics. A recent poll noted that 76% of likely U.S. voters are concerned that our troop shortage, and we do have a troop shortage in our nation, mm-hmm. recruitment yeah. efforts have fallen big time over the past uh, several years. And I just want to get your thoughts, your comments as to why these numbers have fallen off a cliff. Well, I can tell you when I was active duty, uh, there was already 
closing in on retention problems because people were tired of the war, the war on terror, tired of, you know, this, that, and the other. There were people who were enlisted whose dad enlisted at the beginning of it, and now their kid is enlisting in the same exact conflict. But unlike Vietnam, which was the only other similar circumstance, um, instead of supporting the war effort, you support the troops. So there was still the patriotism of supporting our active duty service members, but not so much with the war itself. And so you had that fatigue. And nowadays we have more fatigue with the military efforts because we just got done in the war uh, against terror. And so young people who have only ever known this country in conflict are sick and tired of seeing the country in conflict. And then there's the controversial uh, conflicts all around the world, the two big ones being Palestine and Ukraine. People are like, well, that's just yet another proxy war. Whether it is or isn't in reality, according to people, the people who would otherwise be enlisting, they see it as yet another proxy war, yet another resource grab. And so what you're dealing with is a more, shall we say, global conscious uh, generation who also don't have anything remotely resembling the same kind of patriotism that you and I had, because we grew up with patriotism. We grew up with, you know what, 9-11 happened, we're going to fight for our country. We're going to defend and make sure that never happens again. This generation, they don't have that. All they know is we've been fighting and fighting and fighting and people are dying and dying and dying. So that retention issue and that recruitment issue is definitely hitting hard now, and that would be the reason why. As far as the draft, I'll let you ask me that question. Sure. <laughs> Just FYI, a report says that the Navy this year fell short by 7,000 sailors in recruitment. The Army uh, fell short of its goal by 10,000 in the ranks. I don't know percentage-wise what, what that means, but uh, the report failed to mention, Rasmussen, that Biden also kicked out by demanding the COVID vaccine, kicked out a whole bunch of active-duty members, faithful service members, just kicked them out uh, of the military because they, they refused to take the prick, take the COVID vaccine, and, and now mm-hmm. you know we could easily take them back but I, and pay them back, pay all that. I don't know. That, that, that has, still has not been properly addressed by, by Washington. If something bad were to happen, mm. God forbid something bad were to happen, uh, my yeah. goodness, do you think, sir, do you really think that this this country, these lawmakers, would be stupid <laughs> enough to to execute a draft, to force young men I, and women to the front lines? Oh, I think they would absolutely be stupid enough to do that. And I want to emphasize stupid. Um, every single one of these lawmakers in Washington, and to a degree there's some you know state-level governments and, and legislators that – are arguing for it as well. And all of those people, not a single last one of them, have a DD-214. Not a single one of them. And I know they don't have a DD-214 because they wouldn't be caught clamoring for a draft if they did. Because, first of all, you already have morale issues. You already have retention issues. You already have recruitment issues. Now you're going to force people to join the military that don't even want to be there? You're stupid. That, that, that is pure ignorance. Which is why in my military policy... Every war effort, every single military action that is being voted upon and pushed and stressed and all this, that, and the other by lawmakers in Washington, they're going to have to put skin in the game. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds extreme or uh, unlikely or impossible to pull over, but guess what? If we can draft citizens like you and me to go and fight our nation's wars, we sure as hell can put Congress and Senate on an airplane and send them you know, to a deployed location and be like, listen, this is what you keep sending our sons and daughters to fight and die for it's time for you to actually take on some of that risk 
And for hundreds of thousands of years of human history, if you were to declare war, you were fighting in that war. And the fact that we ever got away from it is why we have all these political conflicts across the world. And yeah, uh, unrest all over the world as well. So succinctly answering your question, they are stupid enough to try it. I don't know if it'll happen this year, next year, or the year after. Obviously, we're going to see what happens in Ukraine and in uh, Palestine. But... I would not be shocked to see this administration try it. You know, if something, God forbid, something like a 9-11 were to happen again, I think Mm. that we have enough millions upon millions of young people who would rush to the recruitment office to defend our country. I think it would shake shake up America, shake everybody awake, and they would run just like they did back in 2001. I suspect that would happen. But I agree. You know, I I don't think we would need the draft for something like this. And and as as technology is is evolving quickly, I am um, I'm thinking, Elon, yo yo Elon, you and your servants down here in Brownsville, maybe listening to talk radio down here. Hurry up, Elon. Yeah. His uh, artificial intelligence robots. Hurry up, buddy. Go ahead and, and create yeah. those robots so we can send those to the front lines instead of uh, American blood, American treasure. Uh, so technology mm. in the future may replace uh, many frontline soldier drones and, and smart robots. You never know. We, we might be less than a generation away from seeing like, something like that. So two of those points I'd like to address. The... Uh if there was some sort of event, a 9-11-like event, I, you're right, it would galvanize the country. That's the one thing that does seem to galvanize us, is tragedy, right. which is unfortunate. I wish, you know, we would be galvanized to build yet another great works. Like, you know, when Eisenhower was president, he built the highway system. He got, you know, our airlines and our um, transcontinental railroads, you know, firmly established. You know, obviously we still had them, but... You know what I'm saying? Like, we, we had great works uh, during the Kennedy administration. We made it to the moon. Like, we don't have goals as a country anymore, so there's nothing to motivate or inspire people. And I think that's what's missing. And you're right. If there was a conflict or some sort of tragedy, it would galvanize us. But I think what would also galvanize us is something that we could work together as, as a nation and achieve, like putting the first person on Mars. If we could treat that the same way with the moon landing, uh, I don't think we would have half the problems that we have economically and, and social and all that fun stuff. As for the war effort becoming more robotic and uh, digital, uh, I'm, of course, an advocate for not putting real lives uh, in danger for warfare. We just run into the ethical and moral conundrums, right? Uh, we already have uh, drone operators who you know, live in, I don't know, Nevada, California, whatever, and it's basically playing a, a video game with a joystick from a screen with, you know, blacked out uh, like squares over the actual people. Yeah. And they're just, you know, shooting squares in a screen. But those squares are people. And a lot of that, a lot of the time, those people are um, like civilians, innocent bystanders and, you know, casualties of war. And so if we're going to move to a more robotic AI intensive military, we have to make sure that our morals and ethics and our uh, rules of engagement and our code of conduct follow suit, which I also address in both my military and AI policy. We can't just have Elon Musk run robots and AI in the Middle East and just massacre cities and villages. That's unacceptable. We need people, you know, with the thumb on the, the controller somewhere 
Yeah. But we need to make sure that what they're doing and how they're doing it is responsible. Have a human soul and conscience before a trigger is pulled. Yeah, Much like, you know, when you were explaining this to me, I was thinking Ender's Game. You ever see that movie? Uh, based on that yeah, novel, exactly, Ender's that Game? Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. But the kids there didn't know they were, they were actually killing uh, the enemy. Uh, they, they thought right. they were just playing a video game. And this generation of video games... They're training. R- right? They were training for that. Uh, this generation yeah. is, is hooked on video games. We might have to go that route, knowing that they have an avatar. They have a, a real-life uh, robot out there representing them, but it's human beings that they're shooting at. That might be one of those ethical issues that needs to be visited by the future technologically driven, AI driven uh, new generation. But that's a conversation for another day. It's, it's a pleasure meeting you, friend. We wish you the best. Oh, and, and thank you for being in the fight and continuing the conversation that we need to have. We, we need a lot of ideas. You find Sam online, samronan.com. Happy New Year, Sam. We'll talk soon. This is The Sergio Show. your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. For what's not enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. A new poll offering a warning for some presidential candidates hoping to tap into the youth vote in 2024. Okay, let me share some of the numbers for you. 49% of individuals 18 to 29 definitely plan on voting for president in 2024. Uh, Last go around, it was 57%. According to the Institute of Politics at Harvard Kennedy School, Expert on politics, leadership, Dan Snell, my friend, checking in. Happy New Year, Dan. How was the holiday for you? Fantastic, fantastic. Great to be with you, Sergio, and your Texas listeners. What a everything's big in Texas, including the numbers when it comes to voters. It's, Texas is one of the youngest states when yeah. it comes to eligible voters. So it's an important topic this morning and growing all the time. Did you see that U-Haul report most recently? California continues to hemorrhage the most. Texas, number one when it comes to U-Haul trucks, headed one way and moving to Texas, so the population continued to to expand. Normally, the younger set is, when it comes to voting, that's the most challenging population demo to get them to the polls. They always say uh, older people will vote consistently, younger people not so much. And now with this um, lack of enthusiasm or perceived lack of enthusiasm in this new poll from Harvard, where less than 50% of the younger set, 18 to 29, plan to vote. And you know, just four years back, almost 6 in 10 said that they would do the same. Just want to get your thoughts on why we see a decrease in enthusiasm among the younger set. Yeah, this poll that, that came out, was it was kind of uh, shocking because when I talk to younger voters, there seems to be a real, at least an energy for wanting to see things get done or change. I think they're, they pay a lot more of attention than we give them 
give them credit for. But yeah, as you said, it's 57 down now to 49%. Of course, every poll out there, it's, it's still early. But I think younger voters are looking, they like change. They also like energy and ideas and they're big on social issues. You know, the study was done, as you said, Harvard, but uh, John F. Kennedy uh, encouraged and excited and got the younger generation enthused with the Peace Corps. He had a lot of energy and vibrance and youth. Ronald Reagan, even though he ran at 69, brought a lot of energy and youthfulness, and people like that in both of those. I write about them in The Winsome Candidate. In this case, I think that this, the Gen Z and the millennials look at President Biden, and they look at even at Donald Trump, while he has spurts of energy, they look at them and they say, I can't relate to them. I think that they're, the age is a factor. And it's too bad that in this world of, of leadership and what I call public service versus politics, that both of those gentlemen didn't haven't looked at themselves, looked in the mirror and said, you know, for really what's good for America, I need to step aside, maybe become a kingmaker, create a legacy that shines brighter than what might happen. And if it's if it's a rerun, America's not going to be happy, whatever, whatever age. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. But I will tell you that the Gen Z and millennials will have a huge impact on the elections this next cycle. You know what I wish they would have done with this uh, Harvard study is to maybe flesh out, uh, ask more questions. What like what are the top issues in all conversations when it comes to politics these days? And just either you know yours truly or other folks that are watching the political sphere, the top issues, inflation, you know, how much we're paying for stuff, uh, border security, and, you know, Joe Biden's policies just catapulting this to top of mind, despite the fact that it doesn't get the necessary coverage nationwide. But it's inflation. It seems to be inflation, um, border security, lack thereof, public safety issues as well. But I would love to ask the younger set, like, what, what is important to you? Uh, like, name the top three issues. Why are you voting? Uh, if you vote in 2024, why are you voting? Is it self-serving, like student loan stuff? Like, I want my student loan forgiven. Or is it more irrelevant social issues like I want the equal rights for trans people, all those things that really doesn't affect you know, hardly like 1% of the population? I'd like to hear from the young what is important to them. Do you, have you been able to gauge any of that? Yeah, in, in talking with them, and of course, you have to put it in the perspective of life experience, but some of them are very yeah. enthusiastic about one particular social issue or another uh, and they exclude anyone that has conversations outside of what they think. Obviously, the economy, their pocketbook is uh, important. And I, I also think, as I said this time, uh, age and the behavior. I think the behavior of both parties is sad. I'm a registered Republican. My parents were Democrat. But um, I try to look at, okay, how do people represent and behave as leaders? And do we want to look up to them? Do we want to look up to this person that we call, whether it's president or senator or whatever it might be? I think, I think young people look at that and they go, gosh, I'm disenchanted. But I do think they're still going to have a major impact and how they'll be reached is through influencers. I think that we haven't seen enough people. The power of social media has been around since 
uh, you know, Barack Obama used it very well, but it's going to be used very big in this election, including artificial intelligence, which unfortunately can sway people with things that necessarily aren't true. I, I'd like to see some kind of election guidelines, how you can use artificial intelligence, because people are going to be swayed by things that just aren't fact. Yes. AI will affect everyone, especially their generation. They will inherit this world that will be run by AI in the not-too-distant future. The, the fu- their future, when it comes to this present administration, all politicians, all of them, they're spending money like drunken sailors, and uh, they did what the mistakes they made, made during COVID, didn't learn a lesson, and just spend, spend, spend all this crazy spending by the federal government that goes back years before that. And, and just a sidebar mention, by the way, I, I did kind of criticize the poll. The poll did touch on issues from this perspective, which I think probably provides a mindset of the younger generation, 18 to 29 again. I think, sadly, in my opinion, they've been properly indoctrinated to accept the, the following issues as the top issues based on young voters and how skeptical they are of the future leadership in 2024 and beyond to handle issues like, and they were specific about this, climate change, they've all accepted the new religion. Health care, always an issue, despite the fact we have the number one health care on the planet. Gun violence, gun violence, gun violence. Ukraine, public safety. The Israeli-Hamas war. Those issues were mentioned by them. So I'm thinking the spending habits, the drunken state spending habits by the federal government the supply chain lack of leadership, energy policy that affected inflation, border security is not even there. At least, mercifully, public safety seems to be there as well. I think they want to be tougher on crime. Just want to get your final thoughts on this. Yeah, it is true that we unfortunately have left the raising of children for a few couple decades up to those in the education arena or what they see on social media instead of, as Ronald Reagan said, all great decisions are made around the kitchen table, that there's not enough discussion. In fact, yes, people sir. don't sit at the kitchen table yes, enough. Sir. And we haven't had enough. And so I, I pointed back you know, sometimes to Americans where we expect somebody else to to lead when we should take responsibility and accountability to really having conversations. Sometimes it's hard with youth because they don't always want to listen, but at least having conversations of what are your, get their thoughts and then say, would you consider this? And we need to, as Americans, we need to really study uh, the, the issues, uh, how they impact both the economy and the future. I always like to think as leadership, we should think 20 years out, not, not just, 2024, but we should be thinking about 2034, 2044, how we're going to uh, handle things. This this national debt is just atrocious, both Democrats for sure and Republicans also. Yeah, push back. Had a big we part of that. that, but the debt is horrible. There's things that we need to study and pay attention, and America's not doing that. So naturally, kids are being, uh, their thought processes are coming from people that influence them yeah. in the wrong places, and to, I think. To paraphrase Reagan, yeah. yeah. In less than one generation, we potentially lose our liberty because we're not paying attention because of our willful ignorance, lack of education, lack of doing the hard work and examining the issues, examining, learning our liberty and learning how to defend it, learn it and teach it to our kids. In less than one generation, we're we're losing everything. Dan, it's always a pleasure. Be safe. Where do folks find you online, Dan? 
they can go to the winsomecandidate.com or they can, if they want to get the book, The Winsome Way or The Winsome Candidate, they're on Amazon. And uh, it's always great to have a daughter that lives in the Dallas area. So I always love pay a lot of attention to what's going on in Texas. It's a great state. She loves it there. And so she's a generation Z. So I talk to her a lot about this and uh, look forward to being with you in the future. It's going to be an exciting be year. Be careful, Dan. Be careful now. She hasn't been brainwashed and indoctrinated to become a Cowboy fan, has she? <laughs> no, she's still a Chiefs fan. I'm oh, a Kansas good. City. <laughs> but it, you make sure you protect your Chiefs child. Have, we have our origin in Texas, right, with yeah. the Hunt family. So we're always, always oh, connected. Yeah. We love the Hunt family around here. They they were loving on us about two decades back and helping propel the economy forward here in South Texas. Um, kudos to you and the family. Thank you, Dan. We'll, we'll talk soon. You bet. Okay, stay with them. This is The Sergio Show. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have a multiple In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. And KURV.com.